Hello and welcome to the Dinosaur Man podcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Solid opening. Six out of ten, Thank I you. think. That's what I was going for. Nothing fancy. Nothing too good. Nothing too bad. Just knock it around the park, boys. Absolute little ground. Take five minutes just to find the rhythm of the game and then just boot it upfield. <laughs> Defend like your life depends on it. You know, go go for that middle ground. Go Do you for... think enough of our fans are football fans that they will understand that no. reference? Fine. Um, spike the ball long, Tom Brady, for a touchdown. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, guys? Okay, what are the basketball fans? Hoops and scoops. Cool. Hockey fans? Slapshot. <laughs> Slapshot. So, hockey, you go straight in for the smash. Yeah. Well, Tom Brady's throwing it for a touchdown, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what if they mm-hmm. are horse riding fans? <gasps> Jump over all of those other horses. That's the aim of the game, isn't it? To yeah, jump yeah. over as many different horses as possible. That's where that game horse mm. came from. But that's basketball, <laughs> isn't it? What? What? Is- well, it was for anything, wasn't it? Because I think even you had a horse thing on Tony Hawk's. I was about to say, what if our only listener is Tony Hawk's? Okay, if okay, Tony Hawk, if you're listening. Hello? Hang on, only listener. Only we've listener. lost listeners since last week. Yeah, and I, everyone left. But we've Tony gained one very important one. Yes. Will he tweet about us? Probably. Does Tony Hawk have Twitter? Yeah, he's the person who tweets like regularly. He tweets. Oh my god, about he's people. at POTUS. <laughs> yes, he's got the, that account now. He took real Donald Trump now. Because uh-huh. uh, that's up for grabs now, guys. Is it first up for grabs or is it just bad? Like no one can use it now? First come, first serve. You get all his old tweets. Mm. Oh, right. You get. Hang on. So you have to take responsibility for his old tweets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. right now your face is attached. Well, there's no. Wait, hang on. Surely my face just morphs into Donald Trump's face. <laughs> it's getting there, bro. The thing is. I didn't okay. mean to tell you this. But <laughs> here's, the thing that, here's the thing that we need to discuss, right? Mm-hmm. Not many handsome presidents. Kennedy wasn't he handsome? Well, Kennedy was, but also never trust him. <laughs> Like, he had the face of a man who you shouldn't let be president because you, you know he's just going to use that power to sleep with women. And he did. <laughs> but you trusted Nixon because you're like, that's the face of a president. Well, he told me he wasn't a crook. <laughs> so you had to believe him. Why would he lie to me? They called him Honest Nixon, didn't they? I've never heard any tapes that they've been talking about, but, you know, I'm sure everything's fine. Apparently there's something about him ordering some kind of, like, you know, water cooler or something, but I'm not quite sure what that's about. Water cooler? <laughs> Uh, it's water cooler gate, guys. <laughs> um, You're just giving them instructions on how to get it through the presidential mm. gates at the beginning of the White House. So the the gate gate is like the water. It's the White House gates gate. Yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm, I don't think that's right. He was second most handsome president. Obama, surely. Teddy Roosevelt. Good moustache. Yeah, a good, good moustache. A good moustache could hide like a multitude of sins back in the day, and I feel like the, the same cannot be said today because I think Ooh, now it's almost a moustache draws attention to your faults. But have you seen the pictures of Keanu Reeves when he's got a beard? Yeah. Now and Keanu Reeves when he hasn't got a beard. Yeah. Like, it, you know how people are like, "Oh, beards age you," and mm. you get like 
it ages Keanu Reeves, right? Him being clean shaven ages yeah. him by like fifty years. Well, look at Bill and Ted. He actually looks like an old man for the yeah. first time in decades. But like with his beard, he looks like he's still like forty. Yeah. I mean, he's thirty nine, no. so that's oh, no. that's awful. <laughs> oh no. But like I don't know, like, if I shave people are like, Oh yeah, you look so much younger. You do. Yeah. And then your, I can't your get, beard, then I can't get into the clubs guy. Your beard <laughs> is the only reason that anyone could assume that you are thirty. Oh my god, I'm 30. No, I'm still 29, remember? I cancelled my birthday last year because of, you know, lockdown. No. I decided... That was that was before... No, yours is in February. You and can't have that. I'm cancelling this one as well I, because no. of lockdown. You, you can have this one this year. No. It's it's official, guys. I'm still 29. No, you've had one birthday... No, you've not had a birthday in lockdown yet. You will, but you haven't. Yeah, but I was poorly poorly sick sick, so I counted because my poorly sick sick ran into lockdown there. So, are you saying that you were in your own in your own weird personal lockdown? Exactly. A social lockdown is not the same as a full lockdown. Personal lockdown. Social lockdown, lockdown is just you thought it was too much of an effort to go into town on the tram. <laughs> That's all that happened there. I, I'm not having that as your excuse because in that case you shouldn't have had about 15 birthdays because wow, the amount of times you've just been like, oh, it's an it's, effort to it's do it. It's nearly time for me to be able to drink legally. <laughs> Can't wait to smoke some tobacco. <laughs> Welcome to the episode, by the way, guys. Um, this is Dinosaur One Podcast. You'll notice it's not a news and reviews. Mm. Um, we thought we'd do something special because, you know, I think releases are still a bit thin on the ground. At the moment, but also we said we wanted to try and do some things that were a bit different, but also... Uh, all right, guys, here it is. Here's it. I, I know you didn't want to do this right now, but I'm going to do it. You news and reviews? You ain't getting that every week anymore. <laughs> you can kiss goodbye to news and reviews every week. Oh, it's Sunday. Oh, I need my news and my reviews. Stick it into my veins. <laughs> every fortnight. Maybe. Sometimes it might be weekly. No, fortnightly. <laughs> And I don't mean doing the floss. I mean once every two weeks. Oh, but what if I need to find out if I can watch Soul on DVD? You can't. We it's already done Disney it. Plus. That's already been out. We already talked about that. Where were you when we needed you? But, you know, like you said, we want to kind of look at mm. do some different things. And- Tread carefully, because if you break my promise of once every fortnight. This week, we thought mm. it would be nice. Night. We've done it before. Um, of looking back at last year's releases mm. in a way that we don't get to on our roundup of the year, because sometimes certain films fall through the cracks. Sure. Um, and sometimes there's these films that, like, because we have these films that we recommend, we've got films we don't recommend. There's underground films that are still probably worth watching, but we don't talk about after the point where we watched them. Mm. Um, so we thought it might be nice to kind of talk about some of those this week. Um, what if yeah, I also maybe want to talk about one of the films that was in my top three? That's fine. Okay, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But you know, oh, Parasite's really good, guys. Well, for me, I've kind of I'm not going to talk about that 1917 Parasite or Soul or anything like that because I'm like those are films that I think we talked a lot about um, a couple of Just weeks ago. Just a couple ago. of weeks ago. Mm. Um, so I'm looking at films that maybe we haven't discussed too okay. much. Uh, it's look, guys. I know what you're thinking. And yeah, you're right. It is a cheap ploy to try and get the actual numbered episode ticker up (laughs) a little bit. Because at this point, we're like 360 episodes deep into this. Yeah. And doesn't it feel like it? (laughs) Doesn't it feel like it, guys? But our numbered episodes, we're still in the, I think, low hundreds. 130, 140, maybe? That ain't right. But also, also... 
Like half of those, I wasn't even on before I came here. If you're like us at the moment and you are locked down, and again, and you know what? I hope to God all of you are. And if one of you, <laughs> if one single person isn't locked down right now, I want a good excuse as to why. Oh, I'm in New Zealand or Australia. Well, good for you for choosing the right countries to live I in. I saw one of, one of our friends like, yeah. we went to university with, uh, they had their birthday yesterday, and yeah. they're in New Zealand, and it's just them and all their friends, and they're hanging out. Who is it? Um, <laughs> Josh. Do you remember Josh? He's in New Zealand? Yeah. What's he doing there? He's well, he's living a good life, because he's there, and he's with all his friends, and mm. they've all got... They've all got beers, they've all got loud shirts and having a great time. And like his post was like... Loud shirts? Yeah, yeah. Hang on, I'm allowed to wear a loud shirt in lockdown. That's not <laughs> but, a rule of lockdown. But like, the thing is, like, everyone mm. looks so happy. Yeah. And his post was like... And they're all, you know, they're all naked. They're of, all they're all having sex. He's got just like... like they're all sharing messages. one scotch egg. He's like, sorry, but like, I'll share pictures, but like, this is kind of how my birthday is. And I was like... You're so lucky that you mm. decided to go to New Zealand. Wow, you were quoting a Britney Spears song at him. Yes. Oops, Good. I did it again. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. So I hope you are all locked down. But what I was going to say is, you know, if you are in a situation like us, a lot of people have been through kind of everything and they're like, oh, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe there is something that we talk about today that you might go, oh, that piques my interest and you can actually go out and see it. Sure. Because most mm-hmm. of it should be available, I reckon, that we talk about. Either streaming or on VOD, yeah. you know, and if it's on VOD, if it's been out for longer than sort of six months, tends to be at a reasonable rate. I mean, even if it's a, a premium VOD, it's a reasonable rate, I would say. But hey, whatever. Hey, guys, look, we're going to talk about it now. So let's, should we do it? Yes. Let's get into things. Where would you like to start? Because we've Ooh. got a couple of categories we did discuss beforehand. But Okay, so let's talk about... Well, look. Andy and I are never wrong. We never make a mistake. <laughs> we, I, I don't think I've ever been... I don't think I've ever been caught making a mistake. Yeah. So that's why this category, I cannot call film I was wrong about. Because that ain't right. It's film that initially I judged too harshly, and yet I realized my own high expectations for films are to blame. <laughs> and I am perfect, and so is the films. Yeah. But maybe not this film, because it's still not brilliant, but I think maybe it's better than I thought it was. Okay. Fine. Times we were wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> so, film yeah. you were wrong on. Just kind of like, you know, we've done a lot of episodes, and we're not always perfect. Yeah. And you know what, guys? Sometimes they're skippers. We know mean? it. We know that. What film did you choose? I chose Host. Okay. The um, the so- the lockdown uh, horror movie. Mm-hmm. The Zoom horror movie, as it were. Now, Host was an interesting one because that, that came out on Shudder just uh, like a couple of weeks after I got Shudder. Mm-hmm. And I only got Shudder, really, for the Creepshow series, which I think is still good, by the way. I mean, it's not a film, so I'm not going to include it here, but I think it's still... <laughs> it's still Look, Creepshow's pretty good. This isn't the time for this. Well, is there a series you enjoyed this year? Creepshow? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, Creepshow. Um, mostly. Some of it's a bit silly, but that's kind of in the theme of it. Anyway, Host. Came out on Shudder in June-July time, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then, maybe it was even later than that, I don't even know. But, then got released on regular VOD, sort of, about three or four weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Made loads of people's, like, top ten of the year. I saw this. And I was I was like, hmm, it, was I judging it too harshly? And I think these are the parameters that I, I looked at it from, was 
have I seen this before? Yes, Unfriended did it. Mm. And I think Unfriended is still decent in terms of what it does with that setup. It's it's very sort of um, formulaic and you know sort of what's going to happen. But the idea of that, you know, films like um, Open Windows and um, the John Cho film, Searching, Searching, have then gone and done things like that as well. But this is a... I think this is... It's to be commended that they made this during lockdown. Mm -hmm. Those films, they didn't have those restrictions in place. It wasn't a case of they filmed it out of necessity that way. It was filmed as a sort of gimmick that way. Yeah. And the gimmick kind of works to an extent. I think, you know, the less said about Unfriended 2, the better. Jesus, that's (laughs) that's a movie, isn't it? Um, But yeah, I think Host is... I don't know. Maybe if I go back and rewatch Host, mm. I will find more stuff that I liked about it. But I thought, I, I thought the issue for me was that it felt still very much like Unfriended, and I was kind of going, "Oh well, if you did something a bit different to that, mm-hmm. then I'd maybe I'd." Am I right saying it was based off a short, like literally like a two-minute video or something? Yeah, like so that. it was like a prank that the director sure pulled. I saw that on mm. Twitter, and I thought that was good. And I always wondered how it works when you expand that out. Yeah, and I mean, it's not a it's not a hugely long film. It's just a case of I think because I felt like oh I've been there, done that, I've seen this stuff before mm-hmm. that I didn't really maybe I don't think I gave it the credit that it deserved for being able to be produced during lockdown because yeah. I think that's really the the sort of that's that's where it falls for me is that that's that's the most impressive thing about it is that it was made out of necessity in that way mm-hmm. and it was it was able to be produced like that and i think that's probably something that i maybe didn't give it enough credit for on initial viewing and i was more caught up in the actual whether it works dramatically for me and i didn't think it did as much but i was like i was really shocked when i started seeing it appear on sort of best of year end lists yeah. and these are like you know top 10 of the year and i'm thinking <laughs> really and I, it's got to the point where I'm thinking, well, I'm probably going to have to just revisit it. It's not, it's not a massively long film, so yeah. it's not like it's going to. But I, I wonder if on a rewatch, I will appreciate it more for the sense that because what it felt like, and what it probably still feels like, is a more, a sort of more ready-made, uh, no, not ready-made, rough around the edges mm-hmm. uh, version of Unfriended because I think Unfriended itself is kind of still, it's it's clearly obvious that this is a movie made by a studio and made for that purpose. Whereas host definitely felt more like a, it felt more like an amateur film, like, you know, an independent feature that just so happened to get a pretty wide release due to shutter picking it up. And I think, you know, I'll speak just now for the last time this year, last year, uh, for the last time about this i think shudder is a really great service particularly for people who you know obviously if you have an interest in horror that's why you get it but i think for for being able to promote things like this whilst also hosting a bunch of sort of classic horror movies and stuff that you just wouldn't necessarily see anywhere else i think that's it's it's a pretty good service and i think you know there's there's a lot of there, I appreciate there's a lot of these sort of specialist services now, mm. and horror's kind. Ho- horror's bad. great because it means that. So Netflix's horror selection is usually pretty awful. Yeah, 
Um, particularly in the UK. I think it's much better in the US, the times that I've used it over there. But over here, it is very much sort of, oh, it's a lot of, you know, Stephen King adaptations that Netflix have done. You know, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of Mike Flanagan things. And then it's just like, there is a... There's a, I think there, there was at one point where they had all of the Friday the 13th movies, apart from the first one, weirdly. They never had the first one. Um, but it kind of feels like you're, you're sort of put in a situation where you don't have a great variety there. And Shudder is something where at least they give you a, a, a really wide range of stuff. And I think that's got to be applauded. And I think, you know, if, if you are sitting on the fence about it, I'm sure they offer a free trial for a month mm. still. Kind Try of it out because it's, you know, that's what I did and I stuck with it. And I think it's worthwhile. I think it's it's really, um, you know, it is the it is the Netflix of horror for a reason. I think it, it gets the job done. Anyway, you were saying, do you, say, think, do you think, um, and I don't know how true this statement is, is that the reason things like Shudder and stuff work is because horror on a budget has to be more inventive and can produce some things that are real gems. Yeah, definitely. While some of the other genres that there are struggle when their budget is kind of stripped away. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at sort of budget horror movies, so I talked about The Wretched this year, which I thought was really mm. good and was made for fucking peanuts, really, in comparison to anything else. Um, and it doesn't necessarily revolutionise anything, and it doesn't do anything that you haven't really seen before, but the fact it's able to do it on that budget is still impressive. The fact that, what's that film? Was it Summer of 85 or Summer of 84? Mm. One of them is another film that came out this year, but one of them is a film that came out two years ago that does a really good job of being this sort of retro-feeling coming-of-age movie that just so happens to have a sort of uh, serial killer in it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a genre that's able to embrace that kind of thing and really make it work. Whereas, you're right, I mean, you know, if if a studio comedy then loses its studio and they pull the funding and they still tried to make that movie does a sort of big studio road trip comedy make uh, is it able to do the same thing it was trying to do mm. if you take away 20 million dollars probably not whereas if you if you make a movie in the horror genre for like you know, 5 million or less as blumhouse have routinely showed you can do some really interesting things yeah um and yeah, I think Host is a good example of just circumstances forcing our hand on that. And maybe, you know, I'll rewatch it and I'll see what I think. Maybe I'll just cover it again or, you know, people just presume that I liked it more <laughs> the second time round. But yeah, Host is my choice for time I was wrong. Mine's kind of sim- similar in mm. a sense of I think I judged it harshly because I've seen so many examples of this kind of film. Sure. Which is The Old Guard. Mm-hmm. Like, so Old Guard is a film that I judged, I think I was pretty down on because of the fact that I wanted it to be better. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be something more than it was. But actually, the pieces that are there, there is stuff to enjoy. Um, Like, thinking back, and it's a film that I've been thinking about quite a lot this year, and I've been like, actually... The thing I didn't like is the fact that the action that they show her I enjoyed, but they didn't show it well enough. Yeah. And that's my problem. But actually, the stuff that's there mm. is enjoyable. I think, you know, it's it's got a 
good cast of characters in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it has good portrayals of these people um, in there. And actually, is it because I've seen so many action films mm. that are around this? Yeah, I think the pro- the problem with, um, you know, I saw The Old Guard as well. It's very much more in your wheelhouse than mm. mine. But the, the problem always comes down to not every film can be John Wick. Yeah. And I appreciate this was not necessarily trying to be John Wick in the same way because it the story was much more sort of involved in the lore of this mm. sort of eternal bunch of soldiers or whatever. We can just keep going. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the problem always comes down to if you're looking at, say, the John Wick franchise as a mm. franchise and saying, okay, well, that's sort of the standout franchise of the last decade from the action movie genre. Well, what what franchise holds a candle to you know? Yeah. If if you're if you're then getting the first instalment in a franchise, what film is going to do what John Wick did? True. None, probably. Well, the interesting thing is, like, and we've guys, seen it happen again and again recently. This sat in my like bottom third mm. of my list, and yeah. it was next to films like Project Power. And I don't think this is anywhere near that kind of film. Like, no, I think it's much better than that. Mm. And I think. While it's not kind of like, oh, this should be like in the top tier of action films, and you know, I don't think it's maybe as good as say Extraction that came out last year, right? But it was still massively down the list for me of where Extraction was. But I'm like, it's not that bad, really. Mm. You know, I think there are some really nice moments in there, and I think actually, could it have been done better? Probably, yeah. But is there still enough to enjoy, especially when you're looking at all of the terrible action films that come out in the same year yeah um should we actually be like oh you know this has stuff in there that a lot of actions don't mm. you know there are characters in there that are interesting yeah um you know there's the story of Charlize Theron's character yeah and her relationship and her kind of lost lover so to speak yeah um you know you've got two guys in there who basically somebody's like you won't ever feel the love I've had for this guy. Yes. Because we've been for millennia and uh-huh. this is a bond you can't break. And I love the fact that that's something that was in the original book that the guy who wrote it to me said, you cannot remove that moment because yeah. it's kind of the heart and soul. Like there's these elements to it that I think really work. Mm. And I'm like, maybe I have just been too down on it mm. throughout this year. And I don't think it's, you know, like host where it's like, oh, actually this is in like top, end of the year lists yeah but it is one of those films I'm like maybe I have because it is a film that does fit into my kind of maybe it's more of a three and a half star than a two or one and a half star absolutely Um, another film that I think we should mention Mm. by the way because we reviewed it quite harshly yeah and ended up in a lot of end of year lists of people's favourite films yeah is Queen and Slim because I, I know we didn't okay, so that. I thought about this while I was <laughs> while I was scrolling through my letterbox thing, and I was I was looking at it. I was going, "Hmm, did I did I judge that harshly?" But I, I still don't think I did. <laughs> I still don't see it. Like, but then again, I don't see what everyone else sees with it. But you're right; it's also cropped up in a lot of sort of year end best lists. And I think, look, it's probably fine. I will never know because I don't think I yeah. want to go back and revisit it. Did it feel long? Yes. 
Was it actually long? Who knows? Mm. I'm going to see if I can find (laughs) out. All I remember is that you went for a wee, like, maybe two minutes before the end of the film. And I was like, surely he knows that this is wrapping up. Because it's coming to this very crucial bit. And then you get back and you're like, yeah, I just couldn't hold it in. I needed a wee, guys. (laughs) Um, It's not like, you know, when we watched... Rise of Skywalker, and I went to the loop purely just so I had minutes out of that screen. Mm. Well, Rise of Skywalker, I saw you drinking everyone else on the rose Cokes. <laughs> just so you needed to go for a week. It's like, I can't go unless I actually need one. Two hours, 12 minutes, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's a bit long. The, I think the, the thing is, I think Daniel Kaluuya's performance in it is very good, I think. Mm. Um, and I feel like I don't know. I don't think it's enough to save the film because I, I just I just found the film to be... I, I didn't know whether it was a comedy or not yeah. because there were these weird moments where I was like, is it playing it for laughs and trying to make out that mm-hmm. this is actually quite a funny situation to be in? Or is this like... Is it a hard-hitting social commentary? Or is it this weird sort of Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. love story? And I think the answer is it's kind of none of those things mm-hmm. and all of those things at once. And I think that's I think that's probably the reason I just couldn't connect with it because I couldn't work out what what I was supposed to be feeling at any one point and mostly I just felt confusion. Yeah. Because I was kind of like what is this? I just always it's fun to mention because it's like I said it's been pretty much yeah, like, I we mean, were never connected with it and I I've seen loads of people afterwards mention it. Um so who knows? We might still be wrong. Yeah, and I mean, that's the film that we saw first of last yes. year's crop because we actually saw that in like beginning of November twenty nineteen like preview screening. And it's it is one of those films that I didn't think about for vast portions <laughs> yeah. of last year until people started just mentioning. It. Like mm. I know it got mentioned in passing to us by other people. Yeah. Um, off the top of your head, mm. just while we're talking about reviews that we did. Old Guard, by the way, that's on Netflix, isn't yes. it, for people who do want to catch that? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, while we're just talking about our reviews, mm-hmm. um, literally, I didn't prep you for this one, but um, is there a review last year that you really enjoyed that we did? Because I have one in my head. A review that we did? That I think was probably the most fun I've had reviewing a film. That we both did? Is the yeah, th- for me. Like, it could be just you if you... I mean, I'm guessing it's one of the Netflix Christmas film no. movies. No, okay, okay, that was just the one that I was looking at. Um, no, I don't really know. So yeah, just like I said, it's just an aside at the top of your head. Is a right. film review that you said last year we did, and you went, "Oh, I really enjoyed that review." Because for me, I loved reviewing Artemis Fowl with you. Okay. Like, that was probably the most fun I've had reviewing something on this podcast. Yeah, in a long I remember time. afterwards you were kind of like, oh, that felt like the old days where we would just rag on a film. <laughs> like, it was just a lot of fun. For a film that I really didn't like, but we had a lot mm. of fun. I mean, this is the thing is that I think a lot of people will always say, like, oh, it's better to listen to a bad review of, or a review of a bad movie than it is to listen to a review of a good one because. With a good one, you're trying to be sincere. You're trying to be very honest about mm-hmm. your opinion and sort of praise its uh, qualities. Whereas with the bad reviews, you can kind of go, oh, well, I'll go in and just go in quite hard on it. But, you know, we I don't think the same kind of... Like, so, for example, Fantasy Island, when mm-hmm. you reviewed that, I don't remember you reviewing it that savagely in terms of 
the way you dissected a lot of Artemis Fowl. <laughs> I mean, Artemis Fowl is just one of those ones where you kind of go, is there is there a way that this is ever good? And I really doubt it. It's one of those films where you just kind of look at it and go, I don't know if there I don't know if there's a version of this film that exists in any multiverse that is good. Because it was uh it was a hot mess. Um But yeah, okay. I'll I'll side with you on that one. I'll say that the Artemis Fowl one we did come away from going, that was a fun review. So, should we move on to another category? Yeah. Um so in fact while we're talking about terrible films, should we talking about films otherwise forgettable films, uh, with standout performances? Yes. Um, because this is something that we've talked about on numerous occasions over the years now, where a a film is so bad that even a great performance can't rec- mm-hmm. can't uh, revive it, or a film is forgettable, but there is a couple of good performances or one good performance in it that maybe makes it worth seeing. Yeah. Um, the film that I've chosen is middle of the road. I'm wondering whether you're going for the same film I've gone for. By the way, uh, it's not because I've you haven't seen okay. this film. <laughs> Um, but I've gone for, oh, wait. Okay, there's a joke answer and then there's a correct answer. Of course, the joke answer is in The Lie, The Policeman. <laughs> I forgot about him. Um, How do I always forget about him? Or the uh, pastor in Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. <laughs> what I've actually gone for is uh, Jack O'Connell in Jungle Land. Okay. Because, I mean, look, boxing jung- dramas... Are, yeah, what is Jungle Land? I can't remember. Yeah, so it's the it's the boxing drama that came out, uh, I think it was sort of November last year, reviewed it last month. Um, it's, you know, two brothers going up against the odds in a bare-knuckle boxing world. So I remember this Jack one, yeah. O'Connell plays the boxer, and then his brother is played by um, Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Hunnam, I think, is fine in it. I don't think he's particularly outstanding, but I think he's fine. Um, Jack O'Connell, I mean, this is the problem, is that Jack O'Connell is always great, so you should always expect a good <laughs> performance. But boxing dramas are just sort of so dime a dozen now that you get to the point where you're like, well, what are you telling me here that, you know, your story isn't that different to any of the other stories that have been in these boxing mm. dramas? So why does this one stand out? Yeah. You need to have something because otherwise it just blends in with the rest of them. And it gets to the point where you just go, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many of these I have to watch before I just go, oh, I'll never watch another one because I think I've seen every different person in the world being in one of these. You know, so many people have taken a run at it. But, you know, Jack O'Connell is really great at just creating creating really well-rounded and you know even if the script isn't necessarily there to support it i think his performances are always really good and we've talked about you know money monster wasn't perfect it wasn't terrible either that was a really straight down the middle film i think and yet he's by far the best thing in it and he's there with you know george clooney and uh who is in that is it julia roberts maybe yeah, I want to say yes. Yeah. But, you know, he's there giving it his all. And and ever since I saw him in 71, I think it, he's he's just been outstanding in everything I've seen him in. And the shame of it is, is that I, I've talked about this on the podcast previously, I think, in that I just think that he's getting the wrong project. You know, he's getting projects mm-hmm. that just aren't getting acclaim. 
and after 71 did so well and was so highly acclaimed i thought okay here we are this is the birth of a new star in the same way that george mckay we feel like is on the cusp of becoming yeah. superstar it just never really happened for jack o'connell yet in terms of just the exposure and it might be a deliberate choice by him yeah yeah it might not be but i think you know jungle land's another example of just a really good performance by someone who's I don't think has ever turned in something that I've not liked and yet deserves way more from the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. And there's only so many times you can do that before people just stop picking you, I think, which is a, which is a really sad thing. Um, yeah, so, yeah, mine's Jungle Land. My second choice, by the way, for this yeah. um, is either um, Hugh Grant or Colin Farrell in The Gentleman. Okay, yeah. Both of them are fantastic in that yeah. film. Um, but my actual pick, and this is one I thought you might have gone for as well, is Daryl Lindo in The Five Bloods. Oh, yeah, okay. Because I think uh, The Five Bloods is mm. a fairly okay film. So it's the film mm. that was basically about five Vietnam veterans going back to Vietnam to uncover some gold that they buried during their time there. Yeah. Um, and it's about them kind of realising kind of the grip the Vietnam War still has on their lives mm. now and also the loss of a friend during that time yeah um and i think it was one of those films that was very mixed in tone of just i didn't really get what it wanted to do and at times it was fantastic at the times it was bad mm. um but the one shining light throughout the entire thing is i think Dario lindo yeah puts in a performance of a lifetime i think he's phenomenal yeah in this film yeah i think you're right i think I mean, I, I think when I was looking through the films on my list for this, I'd put that higher up than something like mm. Jungle Land. So I didn't even look that far. You know, I kind of yeah. I just scrolled right past it because I was like, I want to get something that's really forgettable. And I think Jungle Land does that. Whereas I think you're right. I think, you know, there are these moments of real brilliance in um, The Five Bloods. And I think the, the central performances, I think, are all good. Mm -hmm. But Delroy Lindo is sort of that key catalyst of this is everything is revolving around the power of that sort of gravitational pull of his performance. He has this kind of like shine to him mm. that like you can't help but watch him. Yeah. Um, and like the kind of crescendo arc of his character, mm. I think, is just absolutely heightened by the way he puts himself across. Yeah. Um, I remember watching that film and coming out and being like, that's a performance. Yeah. And it's a performance I hope we see recognised. Yeah. I mean, if any year would have that recognised, you'd hope it would be this one, wouldn't you? Yeah. And like I said, The Five Bloods is fine. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely fine. Like, I wanted to like it more than I did. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, well, it was a classic recent Spike Lee movie in that it wasn't as good as it could have been, you know, aside from Black Klansman, which I think is his best work in years. Yeah. Um, that thing of just, there are there are glimpses of what he is capable of, of doing, but then there's also a lot of stuff where you go, well, that's a bit of a missed opportunity mm. or that's not so great, and you feel like it slightly lets it down. And it's a shame because I think if the film was consistently at the level that it achieves at some point, then we would have been talking about it in our sort of top tens. Yeah. But unfortunately, it kind of falls short. And it's still worth checking out, I'd say. 
Mm-hmm. And if nothing, if nothing else, Delroy Lindo's performance is so yeah. good. Uh, connective tissue here. Jonathan Majors is in both of those films. So he <laughs> plays Delroy Lindo's son in The Five Bloods, and then he plays the sort of mob boss in Jungle Land. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a big career ahead of him as well, and I think he's pretty good in both of those films. He's going to be in a Marvel film, I believe. Uh, Ant-Man Ant-Man and the Wasp. Wasp. He's Kang the Conqueror. Um also, a little bit of a connective tissue from The Five Bloods mm. is um, Chadwick Boseman's performance is great in that, but also it's phenomenal in Ma Rainey's. Like, yeah, uh, and again, film, it's a similar one where... I didn't really the, enjoy, but. Yeah, him and uh, Viola Davis are the reasons to watch Ma Rainey, really. Like the performances there yeah. are great. Um, okay, uh, what have we got next? Let's see. Okay, so shall we do a film that could be improved with one single change? Yes. What have you got? Okay, so I don't know how much you're going to agree with this, mm-hmm. but it was the first thing I thought, and I was like, I'm putting it down. Okay. So, the one simple change is a casting change. Like uh, Mine put, is as well, but it's a film that you haven't else, seen. So. Put somebody else in that role, and I think this film is already much better. Prom. Yeah. Replace James Corden. Maybe change Nicole yeah. Kidman, but we can live with that. But Jane, James but Corden... Put her some, in the film more. <laughs> for somebody who can actually yeah. live that experience mm. because I think the biggest problem with Prom and the main it's thing we spoke shout. about mm-hmm. was the fact that that performance is overblown and stereotyped mm. and having somebody who is has had a lived experience of yeah. that kind of environment already makes that a much better film. I think this is a, this is a really good pull um, yeah I think you're right and it doesn't need to be Oh, it needs to be this person in particular. Yeah. It's just you need to just. It needs to not be. You know. The problem is, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about it being gay face yeah. and being this kind of like really kind of stereotyped, kind of flouncy, kind of almost like all the insults you got on the school playground style performance. Yeah, and that coming from somebody who hasn't lived the gay kind of experience. Yeah, what it ends up doing is sort of negatively detracting from the story you're trying Almost to tell mocking. with that character. Yeah, and it's it's something that we spoke quite, you know, the review was only recently, so I won't mm-hmm. go into it too much, but um, it was something that we did discuss at pretty great length when we were talking about it, the fact that Ryan Murphy has been historically so great for representation, mm-hmm. and it just seems really odd that this is the one film where he's gone oh, well, I'm not going to cast a gay actor in this role. What I'll do is I'll cast someone who's got some kind of presence. And I don't know whether that's just a case of, you know, Netflix yeah. said, can you put someone else in it so it's got someone of real note you know, to it. Corden is a performer and he yeah. like he is known for having great stage history. Mm-hmm. Like He was great stage career and he has got a good voice. Yeah. And this isn't me going, oh, Corden can't sing and you know he can't act. Like I think, you know, there have been times he can. Yeah. I think he has more misses than he has hits. Um but at the same time, if you replace that, there's actually a lot of emotion to that character. Yeah. And there's a quite a hard hitting story to him. Mm. Like there's actually some kind of depths of despair and kind of loss and stuff like that in his life I don't think come across. Yeah, and when I think you've got a character that is just I think you're right when you say that, well, basically, that that performance then lowers the ceiling for where this film can yes. hit. Exactly. Quite, and I think that's quite a dramatic lowering because I think if, I think the, the film itself is probably fine. Yeah, I didn't mind it. But 
I think the problem the problem casting has meant that it's it's dragged it down for me. Certainly, it's lower in my list than I think it would have been if he hadn't have been. It becomes in that role. the focus of the story. Like it becomes the thing. Yeah, that... it, it overrides everything, mm-hmm. doesn't it? And if you just change that, then maybe the rest of it could have it could have been seen as a package rather than being like, oh, prom is fine, but also have you seen this yeah, casting? Sure. And every story I read about prom always started with, hey, here's why this is problematic. Yeah, and then talks yeah. a little bit about the film. Mm-hmm. Change that casting, you could have maybe yeah. changed the film. When that becomes the narrative of all reviews. Absolutely. It then means that your film is never going to be looked at as just the film. You said mm. you have one that's also Yeah, uh, again, you wouldn't have... You haven't seen... Uh, I've, I think I've chosen all films that you haven't seen, <laughs> yes. which is really handy. Um, but it's Color Out of Space. Okay. Get rid of Nicolas Cage. The, the the problem with, with doing a sort of cosmic horror story where people are driven insane by this bizarre colour, um, if you've got Nicolas Cage in the film already kind of going full Nicolas Cage at the start of the film... Okay, so the reason... Okay, so if I compare Colour Out of Space, which is a Lovecraft story... Yeah to a film that was inspired by Lovecraft, but not necessarily, but um, In the Mouth of Madness um, by John Carpenter. Sam Neill is the central character in that. Mm-hmm. Sam Neill is the perfect choice because he's very sort of straight-laced and very sort of, you know, buttoned up in terms of his appearance right at the start of the film. And he's the kind of person who you can then see go on this journey Nicolas Cage, you're you're there from the beginning going, this guy's insane. Yeah. It's the it's the third minute of the movie. We haven't even seen the colour yet. So it's one of those it's one of those just very quick casting changes where you go, put anyone else in that role who isn't just already a hundred percent. I think a similar thing happened in the film Mom and Dad mm. where when he's crazy, it's yeah. great. Like his craziness matches what needs mm. to be in the film. But he is already a crazy dad. There, yeah. If you start there and you're like, oh, my dad is already insane. Yeah. Then where he has nowhere to go. Yeah. I mean, it's it really is a case of just if you're if you're trying to explore what what this cosmic power does to the human mind, mm-hmm. don't get someone who clearly has no humanity left. <laughs> like. He's insane from the start, and that's the problem. And yeah. it means that your film fundamentally... And I think I would have liked Colour Out of Space much more if it wasn't just like, well, this already crazy guy seems to maybe have got less crazy. I don't know. <laughs> um, Everyone else is going crazy, and he's there just like, oh, I feel sane. Like, yeah, it's so it's it's a shame, I would say, uh-huh. because I think I think maybe it's just a case of you you cannot cast him without having that additional baggage that comes along with him. It's kind of what he's been doing lately, which is just... And maybe even for like 20, <laughs> yeah. 30 years, you know, think back to Face Off, he is 100% in that film throughout. <laughs> he's he's become like almost a parody of himself. In the same way uh, that Johnny Depp did after Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. you know, he started playing all of these characters who just had an accent and an affectation, and then it was just hang on, are you playing the character or are you playing Johnny Depp as this character? Mm. Whereas now it's a case with Nicolas Cage of, are you playing this character or are you playing this character as seen through the prism of Nicolas Cage? A bit like Ryan Reynolds now gets Yeah, yeah, everything has that sort of Van Wilderism to it. And you kind of go, 
Okay, but if you remove the... I was thinking from Deadpool, (laughs) and you're there like, no, Van Wilder. I I think he started the journey of Van Wilder. But if you remove that snarkiness, Mm -hmm. is he still... You know, there's probably a really great actor underneath Ryan Reynolds Mm. who's capable of doing stuff with a real depth to it. And Things like The Voices was kind of interesting. Um, Have you ever seen that? No. It's worth... I think it's probably worth checking out. I'd be interested to rewatch it. Um... But yeah, with 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 someone like Ryan Reynolds, you kind of feel like if you get rid of some of that snarkiness, do you then see a depth of feel to that performance, uh, those performances that you didn't necessarily have previously? I think you're right. Nicolas Cage, for a long time now, has just been turning in performances where it's like, <laughs> well, he's gone full Nicolas Cage. You know, even if you look at something like Con Air, which, you know, he's supposed to play a grounded character who is essentially a superhero, basically, in that movie. But he is full Nicolas Cage in that movie as well. And I get it. He's trying to pose undercover as a prisoner, but come on. Um, should we move? Yeah, let's, let's move, move on. on. Um, what else have we got? So I gave a category just for you if you want to do this one. Okay. Yeah. So scariest film I saw this year, St. Maud. The thing is, I would be I would be really tempted to say something else. I would be mm-hmm. tempted to say, oh, okay, well, Host really scared me. But, of course, I did famously say it didn't really scare me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I could have said something like Relic, and I could have... But, or His House. But all of these films all shared something in common, which was I thought they were all really good. The Certainly those those three as the sort of key examples of really good horror movies this year really stuck out possessor also was terrific but saint maud has stayed with me in the same way that relic has but i remember feeling just this scent and i think i think a large part of it is due to the fact that this was the only horror film i think i saw this year on the big screen oh oh, other than invisible man but it was the only, certainly as the film, the first horror film I saw after lockdown in the cinema. And it's, I mean, it's the last film I saw in the cinema as well. Um, it's really, really stuck with me. And something like Possessor I saw at the London Film Festival on the virtual thing. Yeah. And I think, or, and same with Relic as well. And I think the problem is when you do that, you then maybe lose some of the impact of it in terms of just how scared you are because you're there very aware that you're watching a laptop screen rather than sitting watching it 30 feet high or whatever. St. Maud is just... It is a brilliant masterclass in horror filmmaking and being more than just a... Being more than... Not that some of its parts, because I think the sum of its parts is still amazing because I think everything in it really works, but it really just comes together really well. And I think it's, a, I had a conversation with my brother about this, who I saw it with. And he said, Oh, well, the reason I can't have it in my sort of top two or three is that, and he, he talked about his house maybe being above it in terms of his list of the year. I don't yeah. know actually where it ended up, but um, he was saying, Oh, well, I think his house is maybe a more universal thing whereas uh saint maud feels like a very personal story and saint maud is clearly told from a very personal viewpoint but i also feel like it has this universality to its themes of loneliness and sort of uh faith and lack of or rediscovering faith i think it still works on a on a general level 
and it has the scariest final act i think it is just really i don't know i i found it terrifying still in a really great way a question that i don't know whether you can answer or not Mm. is what type of horror is it just for those people who are listening. Okay, are, so I, I would I would know. say that a good way to view this is if you were the kind of person who went to It Comes at Night expecting a flat-out sort of gore fest or mm. sort of slasher movie or whatever, or monster movie, it's not for you. It's for the people who went to see um, It oh, Comes at Night and still came out from it really impressed with what you saw. It, it is a mood piece horror. I think Okay. if you like... Well, this goes against it because Paul, uh, my brother, famously doesn't like Robert Eggers' films. But <laughs> if you like The Witch and if you like uh, The Lighthouse, I think this shares some of that DNA mm-hmm. of looking at it from a very human perspective of psychologically, this is the process that this woman is going through. So it's um, not an in-your-face kind of jump no, scare. No, it's, it's a very slow build. It's very... It's a mood piece horror more than it is anything else. But it's also a character study, and I think it's a really brilliant sort of exploration of loneliness. Um, And I think, for me, it's neck and neck, really, with, with Relic as in terms of just the best horror movies I've seen this year. Relic is so fucking good as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that St. Maud, if you are looking for something that's sort of jump scary, that feels more like it's, um, you know, The Nun or something like that, yeah. you're going to be disappointed. Whereas if you're someone who enjoys that sort of slow build horror and that sort of creeping dread, there's a payoff to it. Mm-hmm. And it's really terrifying. But yeah, I think St. Maud is just, I mean, in terms of debut features as well, just one of the best I've seen. <laughs> and this is why I thought it would be nice to kind of, you are a horror guy. Um, what? Like I've you, been promoted. You, you watch all of our horror films pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, and Relic, I will get around to at some point because you've basically told I me think, that I, I think you'll it, really so. get something out of Same Relic. His but- House is another mm-hmm. one that I just didn't get around to watching and I will watch it at some point. Mm. Um, if you want to know what my horror film of the year was, yeah. it's Invisible Man because it's one of like two I watched. <laughs> and Invisible Man played... I it's think better I said, than Black Box. <laughs> I think I said this on the review 2020. Like, it played my anxieties like a banjo. I think... Like, I, so well put together. Isn't it interesting, though, that when we saw Invisible Man in, what, February? End of February, yeah. beginning of March? Yeah, because I'd just come back from LA when I'd seen it. And you I had seen it while I was there, I think. It is... It's a film that we talked about a lot then. And kind of... When Pandemic hit, we kind of went... Will that just win Best Picture now because nothing else is going to come out? <laughs> yeah. And then obviously they changed all the rules, and you know. But isn't it interesting that we're still? I think we're still talking about it in a way that we wouldn't normally have been talking. Certainly, a, mm-hmm. okay. We look at the other Blumhouse release of that time, Fantasy <laughs> Island. You know, it's it really is the dichotomy of um, of Blumhouse is you can have within three or four weeks of each other. Fantasy Island and then The Invisible Man mm. and it's just like it is night and day the difference between the quality of those two Absolutely. and I think Lee Winnell is weirdly you know for someone who I've not necessarily enjoyed all of his work and we're you know we're a long way from Saw at this point which was obviously mm. his start but isn't it interesting that he's making this kind of thing and clearly has a vision for how well, that film was I made I think that's the important thing the beautiful thing about Invisible Man is it's somebody who went, I know what I want to do with this story. Yes. 
and it might not be kind of what you expected mm-hmm. um but it's kind of it makes it almost realistic yeah. like it's there are moments in it that are you know maybe a little bit more fantasy yeah but there are definitely moments where you go this almost seems real and that's what's scary yeah they found a a, a relatively decent way of sort of incorporating as many reality mm. sort of aspects like, into that it. first half of the film mm. like had me properly questioning my own sanity yeah. like of oh did i see something there yeah. i don't know like, am I just trying to find I think something? it's a film that's going to benefit from rewatches as mm. well, yeah. Like, I watched it in the dark, and mm. that was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so shall we move on? Yes. Uh, the last category I've got down here, then. Yeah, yeah, is, I've got one more written. Yeah, is film that you kind of wish had more eyes on it, more people had <laughs> seen it. So, sort of a an underrated or an underseen gem. Yeah, Let's something say. that I don't think enough people have talked about. I've yeah. seen definitely people talk about my one. Okay. Um, but not enough. And I don't think enough people who are kind of, maybe not reviewers, mm-hmm. but, you know, people who are just... General going, audience goers or... The, the weird thing is, like, anyone has access to my one, but I don't think anyone really went near it. Okay. And the reason is, is because it's a documentary. Yeah. Which is Dick Johnson is Dead. Yeah which I think is one of the best put together films of this year. Mm-hmm. I think it is really important. So Dick Johnson says, or it was a documentary about um, a woman's father who was slowly succumbing to dementia, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and she filmed him over time, basically having these interviews with him um, and speaking to him as the journey went on. Um, and it was intercut with these kind of little funny moments where basically they, they kept killing him for yeah these very sort of abstract surreal death scenes Mm. that were you know set up and staged in real you know in real streets or in office or whatever but were sort of filmed as this is this is the death of dick johnson but then you see that five or six different ways throughout the film and it's almost like this kind of thing of like it almost leans into this kind of like he could go in any way in any time, so let's appreciate the kind of time we have mm-hmm. with him. But it is this story of, you know, it's a very personal story mm. of how dementia affects not only the person, yeah. but the people around it. But at the same time, it's a story that you feel part of. That, yeah. And there's a warmth to it. And there is heartbreak in there as well. Mm-hmm. And... It was when we were talking on our review of year, and we mentioned this that I remembered one of my favorite scenes of this entire entire year. Yeah, was in this, which is there's a bit at Halloween, um, and it's all it's a really there, good scene, and it's there's just a moment in there that is just so beautiful mm-hmm. and kind of tore me to pieces, and I was like, this is what filmmaking should be. Yeah, like you should feel. Um, and it really made me kind of go through the ringer. And I think it's one of those that even if you've not had hands-on experience with anybody with dementia, mm-hmm. you would still get something out of this. And yeah. I think if you have, you really would see kind of what it's doing and what it's talking about. And you kind of, it mirrors experiences of the past. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's on Netflix. Like everyone has access to mm-hmm. it. I saw some people reviewing it and being like, this is great. This is amazing. 
but I don't think enough of a general movie going. Yeah, I think unless unless you have a job or a hobby where this is what you do and you talk about films all the time, mm-hmm. maybe you wouldn't have come across it in the same way. Or you know, certainly from a from a general perspective, I don't think it's the kind of thing that popped up on Netflix and everyone went, "Oh, I'll add that to my list." Um, honestly, the only reason I saw this is because you reviewed it. Mm-hmm. And you made it sound so great. I was like, mm. okay, I'll give this a go. Um, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, it's on Netflix. I think it's, I think is it a Netflix original? So All, all, all my picks have been on Netflix, I think. I, oh, fair sure. enough. Mine, everyone has to pay for mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my final one then for this, um, a film that I kind of wish more people had seen. Uh, uh, this was due to it sort of having a weird release where it got, I think it got released on about 20 screens in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was for a week only, and then straight to premium VOD. Um, the Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is Jim Cummings' okay. new film, I think. You know, I, I'll always, I'll always enjoy a film where they try and do something different. Um, and even if it doesn't one hundred percent pull it off, I respect the fact that you've tried to do something um, that's sort of interesting and unique. I think. Uh, so, a brief summary of it is: it's a werewolf movie. A small town is sort of um, attacked by a werewolf, and people start dying in these horrifying attacks. Mm-hmm. And the police department of this town then have to sort of deal with the fact that people are claiming that this is a werewolf, and that you know no one's safe from it, and they need to find out who's killing these people because it seems to be happening every month when the moon is full so <laughs> everything is pointing towards it being a werewolf but there is one there is one cop who is basically having to say like it, it, it's not a werewolf it can't be a werewolf there is no such thing yeah. as werewolves um i think i i i think i'm just someone who has a genuine connection to jim cummings films mm-hmm. i think between this and um, Thunder Road from last year, there is there is a direct correlation of both of these films are ultimately very very introspective films that look at humanity, um, and certainly um, Thunder Road is just a really spectacular sort of exploration of one person's portrayal of uh, you know experiences of life. But this this film kind of feels like it's doing a bunch of different things because it is this weird throwback movie to the sort of films of the like, really the late eighties and the early nineties mm-hmm. where you've got a sort of a budget werewolf sort of running around doing things, but then it, it it's really well counterplayed with this sort of this sort of small town police force who are. You can tell that there's, I think there's inspiration been taken from a lot of sort of how the cops behave in those sort of slasher movies of the 80s. But then also there's, I think there's a slight sort of Twin Peaksiness to it in terms of the way that this sort of very dysfunctional, or Fargo as well, I think yeah. is probably a good a good example of, it's a slightly weird and idiosyncratic sort of bunch of individuals who make up this police force. Um, really good performances. I think Jim Cummings is someone who is very quickly becoming just this one-man band of just... <laughs> you, you, I appreciate it's a collaborative process, but 
you know, he'll write, he'll star, he'll produce, he'll direct. And he's doing all of that here and doing it really well. And that's not to mention the fact that Robert Forster puts in a really good final, I think it's going to be his final performance, maybe, mm-hmm. um, who passed away 2019. But I think it's just one of those films that tries to do a couple of different things. And I think actually really succeeds in creating this weird sort of uh, atmosphere of a, a sort of nostalgic look at those sort of horror movies whilst also trying to do this thing about this guy who's still having to juggle his own personal life around the fact that he's also got to hunt down a werewolf (laughs) as it were um so i think you know a a film like that that somehow manages to do both of those really well should be applauded and should be seen by more people i just don't think anyone will have really seen it because it it got a weak release here and then was straight to dvd or (laughs) well um VOD. It's another um, one that when I've seen mentioned is always mentioned positively. Yeah, I, th- I I think it's just if you've got a slightly off-kilter sense of humour, it might be right up your yeah. alley. It's it's not a laugh riot, but there's some weird stuff in it that I think will really make you laugh if you're into that sort of thing. So I'd say, yeah, I mean, the same thing would have been said about Thunder Road last year, and <laughs> barely anyone would have seen that, but it was so good. Um, so yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, Looking back on the year, can there, I, uh, yeah. Can I mention one more? Of course. We've got to wrap up. Um, that kind of fits three out of four of the categories that we spoke about today. Okay. The only one it doesn't fit in is the fact that I don't think I'm wrong on this film. Okay. Um, but in a film that's been underseen, mm-hmm. um, could be improved by a single. Could be improved by a single change, and um, what was the third one? Um, <laughs> had a great performance. Performance. Um, yeah. So, Come As You Are okay, is the film that is yeah. a road trip about three people with um, various disabilities trying to go on a road trip to get laid. Yes. That's the basic premise of it. Mm-hmm. And as a film, does really great stuff for kind of showing disabilities on screen mm-hmm. in a way that normally is shied away from. Um, and I think the performances in there are great. And it is a film that has heart and it's really well put together but at the same time is a film that should have been cast with characters who are who are disabled Mm -hmm. characters who you know are suffering not suffering uh, are experiencing disability and this was something that was carried over from the original wasn't it because this is a remake of a Dutch film is Mm -hmm. it something like that and they also did the same thing yeah. where they cast able-bodied actors. Yeah, and with the uh, with the description from the directors being like, we didn't have time to train up people with disabilities to be actors, but there are people out there who are already actors with disabilities. Yeah, it's like, you don't have to train them up to... And you know, they've been doing this for years. My big problem was, was that that mm. big stumbling block really yeah. affects the film because the film is fairly high in my list of films this year. I think... Mm-hmm. The writing's really good. I think the actual performances from the people who are in it are good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the story takes you on a journey. You know, it is setting at times, but it is real. Yeah. But you're missing something because you're not giving. You're giving. You're giving opportunity for this to be on screen without giving opportunity to people who would really benefit from it. Yeah. Um, and it's because I was just looking at my list of being like, oh, is there any of us that I'd like? Oh, I wish somebody else had looked at this, and I saw it, and I was like. I kind of wish people would see this, but I kind of wish you'd done something different. Yeah. 
I kind of wish you'd taken that that jump and gone, okay, we're going to be giving these opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of hope there are more films like that. Yeah, like, of course. Going forwards, which is, you know, films that are shining a light on, you know, people who don't well, get Well, certainly underrepresented time. stories, yeah. I, I think we talked about that last year with Peanut Butter Falcon, mm-hmm. or 2019 with Peanut Butter Falcon, and just saying it's it's kind of heartwarming to see this, but at the same time, isn't it dreadfully sad that this isn't seen yeah. as just the norm, that this is seen as something where, oh, well, we should celebrate the fact that this has come around. Well, should we, or should we say, well, why isn't this happening more often? Mm-hmm. You know. It shouldn't be a surprise. Like it shouldn't, shouldn't go, oh, it's great to see this. Because it shouldn't it should have to be, be that they've gone out and written this film just to give Zach Gottsagen this part mm-hmm. and do this story. It should be that there are these stories out there already, and yet here we are kind of saying the same thing a year on. It, it, nothing really changes, but we'll, I, I suppose we'll see in the sort of longs, in the long term. Uh, yeah, anything else you want to mention? No, just thought I'd mention that one. Okay. I saw it on my list. No worries. Um, okay, well, I think that's it. Yeah, you started to say something and I really cut you off. And I yeah, it was just, you know, there's been some films and they've been good films. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, that's where we're ending. I mean, that's probably the last time we'll probably go back and mention all of the yeah. stuff from other than when it comes to the Oscars stuff. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. But that's um, April, it's fine. Yeah, that's we've got fine. months until then. Um, but j- this was sort of the final wrap-up of last year's stuff. We've done, like I said, we did it a few years ago, and this year we went, well, why don't we, after the kind of dust has settled from the best of the year, mm. just have a little chat about some other films that, you know, maybe are ones that we didn't talk about often throughout the year. Some of these, you know, you would have heard us, like, I'm pretty sure St. Maud has been brought up multiple times. Um, On every podcast since I saw it. And, you know, there are films like that, but, you know, there are some that we probably didn't talk about enough. Yeah. Um, and also, it's nice to kind of go, what films are doing stuff right, but actually probably could reach another level if they'd done something yeah. differently. Um, but yeah, that's where we'll leave it, guys. Um, as ever, you can find us on all of the social medias, basically. Yeah. yeah. Dinosaur Man Podcast or at Dinosaur Man 15 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, thank yeah. you for joining these as ever for the theme song. It was um, good still. Give, is give, still give, the same one. Give the podcast a subscribe if you want. Yeah, subscribe, um, review us, tell your friends. Uh, if you're Tony Hawk, retweet us, you ungrateful <laughs> bastard. <laughs> if you're Tony Hawk, um, go catch that Ollie. You know what? Do a sick flip and then do a 360 spin out. Oh, do that. Do that. I don't know what do if that it's casual spin out and jump over a gap or something. Um, if you're if you're Tony Manual. Hawk, then enter the code that makes you Darth Maul. <laughs> do you remember uh, that from one of them? I you remember. could be Darth Maul. Uh, thank you, Alex, for being the host. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for being the host. <laughs> It's perfectly fine. And guys, until next... Imagine if I wasn't that thankful for you being the host. Until next time, do a kickflip. Sick kickflip. (laughs) 360 points. Well, you got 10,000 points and then you fell off your board and lost them all. Oh no, you failed to unlock New Orleans. So guys, is that real big fish I hear? (laughs) That's right, it's, it's the Mario Kart Invincibility Star but this time played on a trumpet in Real Big Fish. Bye. Dinosaur.